Live from a crack in the Egyptian ruins, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kev, and as always, I'm joined by Frozen Apologist and Zuma Producer Extraordinaire, Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello. And as we all know, it is Le du Trainer Part 2. This week we are talking about Death on the Nile. Trainer, you're back. Your thoughts in the week leading up to this episode, in the wake of episode one's release. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a bigger week in history. Full stop. True. I mean, I've been nervous. My lawyers have been working like crazy. I'm on and off calls <laughs> with them all week. I mean, this is, I mean, it could all end here. I could be exonerated here. I could be in prison by the end of tonight. This could go anyway. I think that if people thought takes last week were hot, I think that this week there's going to be some boiling takes. I am, for the first time ever on this podcast, left speechless with just the the things I have to say about Kenneth Branagh's death on the Nile. <laughs> it, it almost doesn't feel real that you just said that, that you're doing death on the Nile. No one <laughs> See, thought this day would come. I, I, I had this problem three times on this show. I even had it, Mackenzie had to cut it out, but talking to Bex about this whole gimmick, <laughs> I was like in disbelief it was happening. And now here we are. But first, trainer, I have to talk to you about something I didn't even realize you know, usually we do what you've been watching, and I think I'm going to call for that this week because next week we do We're Haunting in Venice, and you're going to hear all about my experience with the uh, hilarious sneak preview cocktail party. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that'll be fun, but I figure we're going to do a good old fashioned what you've been watching to open today's show. I, I want to hear about something from you, trainer. I want to hear about okay. this sequel to Chicken Run. <laughs> let's start with that so i watched the trailer twice or just back to back you know you watch it you run it back right i i, I definitely watched a chunk of it <laughs> not even the whole thing i did you know time is a fickle thing trainer okay well i did for me the there, there are two big takeaways with this trailer there are three big takeaways from this trailer there are four big takeaways from this trailer <laughs> <sighs> the first one are all the new voices. I think only one or two of the chickens are the same voice actor from the original Chicken Run. And that is going to be interesting. I think it's been long enough that people don't remember. So like for the average person going to see this, it's not going to matter. For like me, it's going to matter. I think it's going to matter. Like me and Marcy are going to be in this theater separately and just being like, who are these people? <laughs> the second one is it's like a, it's a heist movie. Yes. It's no longer The Great Escape. It's now Ocean's Eleven, which, I mean, that's incredible. I couldn't believe my <laughs> eyes. I am pumped. I love heists. It's like my two favorite genres of movie are like murder mystery and then heist. So this is this is chef's kiss. This is going to be this is going to be great. But the third takeaway was the animation looked amazing. Fourth takeaway was that Mrs. Tweedy is back. I was not expecting a returning villain to show up yeah, in this trailer. Very weird, right? Because she, I mean, she, she got her ass beat in that first one. Like, she, cause she could be dead for all we know. That's what I thought. I thought she was dead. Yeah, doesn't, how does the first, I forget how it ends with the first one. Doesn't she get, like, she, kind of vaguely killed? Like, she, I mean, her full body runs into, what, that giant wooden sign going at, like, 200 miles per hour. So she'd be liquefied. But here we are. Mm -hmm. Here we are. But I think that's good. I mean, I'm all for Mrs. Tweedy coming back. She's a great villain, so. What else you got? You watching anything else, Trainer? I watched, so this past weekend, from Thursday to Sunday, I was at a pinball convention down in Massachusetts. 
And one of my favorite things about staying in a hotel is when you're tired, you get back to the hotel at night, you just turn on cable television. I haven't watched mm -hmm. cable television in like 15 years. That always means that I'm going to watch whatever AMC is shoveling down my throat that night. So that was Tombstone, which I watched completely for the first time. <laughs> hey, shout out to our friends, the rankings who just had a Tombstone watch party last night. Did they really? Oh, my God. I didn't know. I was unaware. Yeah, very, very happy with Tombstone. I've seen, I'd say, like 80% of that movie on YouTube through YouTube clips. Just because if I see it, I'll be like, all right, this looks interesting. But I was happy to finally, like, actually sit down and watch it. Let's see. I watch most of all three Back to the Futures because those are on as well. Those are on TBS instead of ABC. Whoa. Oh, hell um, yeah. We went to the musical trainer last week. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's kind of all I have to say about that. So. <laughs> I have I we attended had, it. We had a lot of fun with it. We attended it. We had a lot nice. of fun. I saw Roger Bart, you know? I did you know, see... dated Trisha Paytas. That gets me fucked up when I remember that. Isn't that insane? What? I've Roger never heard Bart, those two names Roger before Roger Bart life. and Trisha Paytas dated, yeah. That can't be true. I think it might the be. The guy who's doing a Rick Sanchez impression downtown <laughs> right now is... No, I, can't. I need I you to know this is deep wisteria gaze lore that this was dropped to us by a fan like years ago. I think it's... <laughs> I, I'm hopefully blowing the minds of many people, but if you're a Wisteria Gaze listener, you have heard us, me and Ned, lose our fucking minds about this like at least eight times on that podcast. Actor Roger Bart tr cheated on Trisha Paytas for over two years. Yeah. I'm so sorry, trainer. I don't I didn't mean to step on you. Like, I've never heard of these two people. These are fake names. These are fake people. So. Oh my God. Yeah, Roger Bart's like a musical theater actor. You might know him literally as the voice, the singing voice of young Hercules in the Disney version of Hercules. He sings well, Go yes. the Distance. That's where most people know him from. But Kevin and I are theater geeks, so we know he's like, was in the original probably cast of Young Frankenstein, the producers. Uh, and Trisha Paytas is a grifty YouTuber. <laughs> ASMR spa nice. treatments nightmare. It's, it's a whole thing. And she was, um, but he yeah. was cheating. Oh. He was cheating on her for two years, I guess. I don't know. I can't even imagine those two people in the same room. This is totally a tangent that we didn't need to go down. What's up, What Max? a chaotic life. You better keep this in. <laughs> okay, I will. Talk to me about Back to the Future Trainer. I mean, probably. I, I'll go on record to say the best trilogy of movies ever. I'll say it. <gasps> on record it. as we're covering a trilogy of movies right now? So far. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't I know. I gotta see Death in Venice. Or we don't know. Yeah, right? The Haunting in Haunting Venice. Venice. Haunting in I don't Venice. think either I've... of you know the song Walking in Memphis, so this joke I mean, how do you is not, just not... I, the person from Memphis, <laughs> from don't know Memphis. the song Walking in Memphis. Yeah, that's what I said. I did not know that's what you it. were singing, <laughs> but I do know that song. I especially love the Cher version cover that's on her her uh, album, Woman's World, I think, or Man's World. I'm walking in Memphis. Anyway, a weak Cher. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that next week. At the risk of going on to my movies for like the 20th minute straight, I just want to say one more movie I watched this week was Coconata's Columbus. Yes, I want to hear about this. Immediately went to my top four. I, I cleared out Vast of Night and put Columbus up there. Whoa. Wow. Obliterated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sniped on sight. But I mean, the, this movie, I think I said it in my review that it's like the most beautiful that our real world has ever looked on screen. And like, cause I, to bring it back to Wes Anderson, as I did last week with <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, um, like Wes Anderson creates these worlds that are gorgeous and beautiful in every shot, but they're like completely manufactured. Right. So 
But Koganata took Columbus and just like shot our world through their lens. And it's just like every single scene, I was just like jaw on the floor, mind blown. It's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And the story, I'm like such a sucker for just like melancholy as like a theme. So this, I mean, this, this just hit like a ton of bricks when I watched it. I couldn't believe my eyes. I gotta check this freaking movie out. What the hell? I mean, I loved After Yang, so like I'm a I'm a I'm a down with the vibes that Coconata brings. Yeah, Coconata's two features, After Yang and Columbus. I, I have them both at five stars, so Love it's it. quite a track record. It's been it's it's rare that a movie, especially at home, can quite can get you <laughs> like that in the home. beauty of it. Good you know one. I, mean? I didn't watch this at home, Ken. Wait a minute. This was an office watch? <laughs> oh yeah. And oh even my so, gosh. see, because it made me think of The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is a movie that looks mm. extremely beautiful in a very exaggerated way. Um, probably way different than what Coconata has done and can do. So I was interested, but I could, I don't know, man. There are certain, I would have turned to, like, that's, for those of you who are just joining us, you offered this up. So I, this I is the trial to, of trainer. So, so. I mean, you watched it on a second monitor at work. Third. Oh, Third right, monitor? You have two. <laughs> oh yeah, honestly, I, I have to say this is so if the Wi-Fi weren't so lousy in my office, I would have brought my iPad in weeks ago to start doing this while I'm doing my dark business. <laughs> making, hell spell, making spells and potions and hexes. <laughs> That's right. Doing your dark work. Trainer, do you have any other movies for us that you watched? Uh, anything you watched in the glow of the fluorescent lights? <laughs> do you tag the, them like when no. you watch in the office oh you should no there's no point because they're all <laughs> anyways um the the periwig maker a short film 14 minutes it's on vimeo i think that's where i watched it but it's a uh, kenneth Branagh voices the one claymated character of a man a wig maker during what? london's like plague i don't know i'm not from london the plague London's years. plague. I don't know. London's <laughs> plague. I don't know. I'm not from London. <laughs> um, That's going to yeah, be the it's, episode it's... description. <laughs> Other topics include London's plague. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautifully claymated short about life and death and death and more death. Hmm. But yeah, check it out. 14 minutes. You can't go around. Kenneth Branagh. Beautiful voice. What can I say? <laughs> Oui, oui. Well, Mackenzie, do you have anything for us? You know, I am. Everyone knows I've been hitting a movie slump, and now I have movie slump combined with my wife bought a PS5 in Baldur's Gate. So I have no idea when I'm ever going to watch a movie not mandated by a podcast ever again because I am lost in the sauce of Baldur's Gate. We're going to come out of the trial as Baldur's Gate Danger Podcast. <laughs> That's all I need now. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am. I made my very first character that I ever made in D&D, Half Work Barbarian. I'm romancing the mean Githyanki, and uh, I'm having a great time. That's my life. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll watch some more movies, but no, nothing really to speak of. What about you, Kev? Well, I did just look, and unfortunately, Baldur's Gate 3 does not link to Austin Powers. So. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, as for me, I'm on the Marty journey. I'm, I watched uh, Hugo, which... I highly suggest anybody who likes Hugo go on YouTube and look up the theatrical trailer for Hugo, which if you don't remember 
is very similar to the theatrical trailer for the Nickelodeon film Snow Day in tone. What? Don't they, remember Snow Day. They took maybe 10 minutes of the movie and cut it up into a trailer to trick children into thinking that it would be a funny movie. When in reality, it's uh, a torture session for about an hour and then a beautiful mediation, meditation, excuse me, on film preservation and why it's so important. It's a fascinating film. And the 4K by Arrow is incredible. Shout out to them and to Paramount Home Video and to everybody there who are friends of the show. Yeah. Hugo, I'll say, I'll go once again on record in this trial to say that Hugo is my favorite Scorsese movie. Whoa. That is quite a take. Right now, my if people care, my top 10 as of right now, you can go to letterbox.com slash Kev and follow along with the Be Italian list if you want to. But number 10 is Kundun, a movie that Christopher Montesanti liked. Hey, Molly, I liked it. I liked it. Amazing. The best scene in Kundun is when he steals the truck and he crashes it in the street. Very funny. Uh, Number nine is The Departed. Number eight is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, probably the crown jewel of this entire journey and the thing that made doing it worth it. So far, we'll hear, you know, silence. You'll hear about next week. We'll figure that out. Uh, That that movie is amazing, and we're going to do it one day on the show, and I'm very excited about it. Silence or Alice? Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice rips. Silence? I like, I like Alice a lot. Silence is going to be, if we ever did that, it would be fascinating in a very different way. <laughs> uh, number seven is the prequel to Joker Taxi Driver. Number six is Way of the Future or the Aviator. Number five is Raging Bull. Number four, hey, Jesus, I don't want to kill you. The Last <laughs> Temptation of Christ. Number three is After Hours. Number two is Goodfellas. And number one is uh, Joker Gaiden, the King of Comedy. I don't think that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's, mm. I got Wolf of Wall Street coming up. What's that? (laughs) I said, I love Pete Davidson. (laughs) The king of comedy. He just had his TV show, I think, called that, right? Yeah, he is king of New York or Staten Island. king of Staten Island. He's also pulling Joe Pesci out of retirement multiple times. So like, what does Pete Davidson have? He's Crohn's is what he has. So Crohn's Kings. Crohn's Kings? The the representation is vital i i agree with that representation matters okay yes <laughs> speaking of representation I mattering a stupid, no, i was gonna make a stupid joke about jennifer saunders and don french being my representation in this movie <laughs> <laughs> and then i laughed myself out of it but i'm back it's there it is now well Mackenzie, why don't we take your lead then and hard segue into the movie discussion <laughs> this week i didn't even look at austin news so like anything could have happened but in the spirit of the trial of trainer and having you here trainer and doing the whole thing, it's time to hop on a riverboat with enough champagne to fill denial. Your Honor, the defense would like to call to the stand myself. Thank you, Your Honor. My lawyer has advised me to keep this short and sweet. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I stand here before you today, a simple messenger, a storyteller, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Let me paint you a picture. It's dark, 
a group of close friends and confidants are huddled together, close, scared. Their friends and family have been killed before their very eyes, and they are faced with a truly terrible fate. Time is, time is running out for this, dare I say, intrepid group of adventurers. With no answers in sight, nowhere to run or hide, their fate rests in the hands of one man. One man to make a decision, one man to find out the truth, one man who sees all, who knows all, just one man. Hercule Poirot. At the height of this tension, a decision is made. In a brief yet intense exposition, Poirot explains it all so clear, like he's known the entire time. Eyes dart around, the whole group now sees the truth Poirot is laid out before them, and they understand what must be done. As quick as a flash, the grand plan unfurls. Just as the group is closing in, a few final gunshots add to this explosive ending, and it's all over. Poirot, having proved his worth once again, has paid a steep price for his genius, and the answer has come at great cost, the loss of his dear friend and colleague. Not able to find the words for the woman he now knows he loves, he falls silent, ashamed that he couldn't act fast enough. Yes, this is the story of how Hercule Poirot got his mustache. <laughs> Alright, now that the opening scene is out of the way, we find our <laughs> beloved G... <laughs> Now that the opening scene is out of the way, we find our beloved genius as kooky as ever, needing perfectly symmetrical desserts, traveling the world on a supposed vacation, running into old friends and perhaps making some new ones. Once again, Monsieur Bouc, who is in the process of defacing one of the greatest feats of human history, convinces Poirot to join him on an adventure for his friend's honeymoon celebration in Egypt, to which Poirot reluctantly agrees. On the first day of the party, Poirot recognizes the bride and groom as Lynette Ridgway, one of the wealthiest heiresses and entrepreneurs in Europe, and Simon Doyle, a big, square, boyish man. <laughs> he recognized the pair from a club back in London that must have burned down from the heat this couple was putting out on the dance floor when they were openly having the most passionate sex I've ever seen, while somehow still fully clothed in front of Simon's fiance and not 10 feet away from Poirot, just trying to have an even number of desserts. <laughs> As a party in Egypt goes on, that very same fiancé from the nightclub, Jacqueline de Belfort, arrives unexpectedly in Egypt, just to make sure the happy newlyweds see her in her evil grin. Scared for their safety, Lynette and Simon beg Poirot to do what everyone knows he does better than anyone else in the world, and be a bodyguard. Poirot, wondering how many times he can be asked this question in this series, declines, but walks right over to Jacqueline to inquire her intentions. Revealing a small 22 caliber pistol, Jackie threatens her own life, or the couple's life, I'm not really sure, but it's not looking good. Hearing the news, Lynette and Simon decide to change plans and charter a yacht down the Nile for their party and bring along all their family and friends. Smooth sailing ensues for a few days. Poirot enjoys his time learning about his fellow partygoers maybe even finding a way to open up his heart to love once again. There are a lot of hijinks, and the relationship drama is off the charts until they finally arrive at the temple of King Ramses II. After finding definitely not an open public space to, I quote, get ridden like a happy horse, Lynette and Simon almost... <laughs> I mean, it's a quote. <laughs> Lynette and Simon almost get killed by a falling rock from the top of the temple. 
quickly rushing back to the boat to find Jacqueline waiting there after she legally purchased a ticket to board. Lynette does what every one percenter does and just tries to throw as much money as possible at the problem until it goes away. Later that night, after Lynette has retreated to her bedroom and taking multiple sleeping pills, Simon, Jackie, Simon and Jackie get into a shouting match that ends with Simon getting shot in the leg and Jackie having a panic attack because she just shot someone in the leg. Fortunately, there's a doctor and nurse on board who are rushed to take care of the pair and all while Poirot is passed out in his bed from a single glass of champagne, that lightweight. The first thing next morning, the group is awoken by a scream as Lynette is found shot dead in her bed by a 22 caliber bullet to the head. Poirot alerts the family, the friends on board to the murder, and immediately starts to do what he actually does best, detect. With a party composed of Lynette's closest family and friends, Poirot slowly reveals that they all actually hate her, or maybe it's just human nature to be jealous. Lynette's servant, Louise, who found Lynette dead, winds up dead herself with a cut throat and a body stuck in the wheel of this great ship. With pressure rising on all sides, Lynette's priceless jewelry stolen, it all comes to a head when Poirot's longtime friend, Monsieur Buch, is killed in front of him as he reluctantly unfolds his friend's true intentions. Poirot sees the killer running away, chases after him with all the speed and fervor of an old soldier who had to watch another of his friends unjustly die before his eyes. The killer narrowly escapes as everyone else clamors out of their rooms to inquire about the gunshot and Poirot, filled with rage and determination, forces them all to be locked into the main room of the ship. Gun in hand, killer close by, Hercule Poirot must now reveal the truth behind these deaths on the Nile. amazing Woo. two and a half hours later <laughs> amazing that was incredible that was really, <laughs> really good brought the movie to life thank you so in terms of history on this film mackenzie i'm assuming you've never seen it no i've never seen the original either so much like last week i did not know the ending though we'll talk about it. i did predict it this time uh last time he threw you me did. off but this time i was able to call the killers kind of early uh i've watched the scream series enough to find the clues um but yeah like i i had known of it right i've heard the name before i know there's an original film but i've never seen anything related to this i mentioned it last week this film is really the inception right of kind of the whole thing and it got memed to death around the time it came out and everyone was like this is the worst film ever made uh and uh you know and, and just memed it all to hell into the ground uh, a few years ago not even a few years ago a year ago now <laughs> uh, uh and yeah that was pretty much what i knew about it it's just you know enough champagne to fill the nile uh the grinding at king ramsey's i feel like i saw that on twitter too like <laughs> those are the two parts i saw on twitter which are actively sure two weak parts of the movie but like just two parts in a movie that has many other parts and we'll get to it. I was, yeah. I will say, I was pleasantly surprised. I think people maybe overreacted a bit, but we'll get into it. No kidding. Kev, you don't have a history, right, with this movie? Uh, Kev wrote on July 29th, 2022, Death on the Nile, a good bit of fun blown out of proportion, as usual, by the internet. Burrow's investigations and deductions in this film uh, are tremendous. Glad to support this franchise if it goes forward, as long as Taika Waititi stays far, far away. <laughs> this is my review on Letterboxd. I think probably right when it went up on Hulu, I wouldn't meet the timetable seems right on that. And it's also probably around the time you started getting uh, brought in front of the tar and feathering uh, masses. Trailer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My body had been dragged through the streets a few times by then, I think. <laughs> 
And I'll tell you why. So I, I saw this opening night for some stupid reason. <laughs> my my now wife, Corinne, and I, we went to the movies. I'm like, we're going to go see this Death on the Nile movie because people say it's bad. It might be terrible. Well, let's just go see. It looks fun, right? So we got there. We watched it. I had fun with it. We both left like that was not as bad as people said it was. And that's pretty much what my first of like six reviews says of this movie. <laughs> it says this wasn't that bad. It's, you know, it's a fun movie. Uh, we'll get into some of the reasons why. But I gave it that first rating. I gave it three and a half stars, which is higher than I have the Godfather rated. <gasps> and it's higher than I have wait the original Blade Runner rated. <laughs> and because of those two facts, later that night when I got home, Booted up Apex, Slim and Danny waiting. Actually, I don't even know if I played that night. I think they were playing with Proto, and I was just in Slim's Twitch chat. What? And they were like, oh, trainer, how was your night? I'm like, great. Saw Death on the Nile. I'm home. Gave it three and a half stars. And then it might have been Danny or someone looked at my letterbox and noticed that I had that higher than The Godfather <laughs> and Blade Runner. And just immediately, immediately went off on me. <laughs> That's so funny. That's genuinely so funny. So from that moment on, I had no choice but to defend this now okay franchise. <laughs> I can't believe that that's where this came. Um, that's where it all comes from is because I still have the Godfather at three stars. <laughs> back to Apex, my God. I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this whole night with something right now. Okay. And that is my letterbox ratings are based on enjoyment purely. So, like, I have The Godfather at three stars because if I never watch that movie again, I'm fine. <laughs> Obviously, great movie, but it's like six and a half hours long. It's <sighs> I've seen it three times. I don't I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's fine. We get it. <laughs> I said the takes okay? were going to be boiling. And was I wrong? Everyone? <laughs> the Blade Runner issue. I have to rewatch it because that was a the fluorescent light special. So I think maybe if I watch it at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that probably plays a role that movie is also an awesome movie i love blade runner but it's also very droning in particular yeah about uh mm -hmm. its whole deal so i can't this is just <laughs> that's that's just i'm so sorry i'm just again i'm at a loss for words but i mean okay how about i bring us into it because like i just want to say my overarching thing can i just i just want to say it up at the top because like Let's do it. All of Let's my mutuals have this at like one star. And I'm like watching this movie and my broad overall thoughts are like, sure. It's like not greatly paced in the top half. Like for me, it's a little like, I'm like, when are we going to get to the mystery? And then when we get to the mystery, I think it's really, really great. So I can see how the pacing can't, you know, could be better. And like, again, it's still what it is, but I thought, like a lot of my issues that I mentioned in the first, I feel like got they they got fixed kind of in this. Like I felt like I uh, there was more invested in the side characters and getting to know them and understand them and where they're all at before the mystery actually begins. I thought he was making a lot more interesting directing choices that like I felt like there was a lot more distinct choices that like worked for me. A lot of really cool shots, a lot of cool things that he did with the camera. I think he deepened the character of Poirot more like I was waiting for this to be like the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I think this is better than the last one. And like the last 40 minutes of this movie, I'm going to say are kind of amazing. And I'm, 
for me personally. And I'm just like, that's right. I'm just waiting for this movie to be trash. And like, I think I just, and I'm not even trying to show these people. I'm just really confused. Cause I feel like I just watched a different movie. Cause I'm like, I just don't get why it's that bad. Like I thought it, this was better. Maybe it's cause we're watching them back to back. So I could see the comparison and the growth for me personally in that, between the films. But like those last 40 minutes, like totally sold me on the film. I was, I like from like Rose Leslie's, death reveal to the end i was like genuinely riveted and into it and i loved it could not believe i just what happened with people why did people go crazy on this movie i'll tell you why they were bored on a tuesday afternoon and saw 15 seconds of a movie they'll never see they don't mm-hmm. care they're not even listening to this show except for slim like they don't <laughs> care like whatever you know a lot of people that are in our community have this at one star like that's just like what is sickos Look, I can't account for taste, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, things are supposed to look a certain way. I felt the same way. I can't believe I'm about to do this. I cannot believe I'm about to do this. But in June, after weeks of uh, hearing the absolute worst about it, I saw a movie called The Flash. And I was saying for the fifth time on this podcast, I saw it on, if it's not the biggest, it's the second or third biggest screen in America and one of the biggest screens in the world here at Lincoln Square on the IMAX, okay? And in The Flash, they're going for something with the CG that doesn't work. I can recognize that. But like everyone decided that this was the time for them all to become experts about CG and stuff. It's like, no, they're obviously going for like come on, like <laughs> Like, no, you, you don't care about the flash is my point. You are bored and, and you saw a tweet. And even then like the CG in this movie, which this movie did get a lot of shit about. It's Mm -hmm. like pretty much gone once they're on the boat. Like once they're on the boat, they're just on the boat. So like, I will say the, I'm not even a big person who can see stuff like that. The shot that made me go was the one where she's like in the red dress coming up and the background looks really bad. That wasn't great. Obviously the pyramids kind of looks goofy, but like again, these are cumulatively like a hundred seconds of the movie. Like I didn't think they were like so distractingly bad that it ruined the whole film. And I feel like that's a big thing people levied against it, which is it's just not a lot of the movie. Also, if you had seen the entire movie, you would already like that person would already have tapped out at the mustache origin, <laughs> which is so overblown and cartoony. And like almost I love that scene, but it is like, come on. <laughs> Like that person would have tapped out then, but they didn't see the movie again. They saw three screenshots or 30 seconds of footage in a tweet. Although I will contend that like, yes, the CG is they're going for something and it doesn't work. Cause they have to have been going for something because it looks a little ridiculous in spots. But if it all looks ridiculous, I think, I don't know. I don't think it doesn't work. It's a stylistic choice. I haven't seen the flash. I will not see the flash. So I have no comments Same, on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, t- it's not a great, I, I gave it three and a half stars to get a reaction out of people. It's not a great movie. Um, but trainer, I want to hear from you. So I think I'm getting yeah. the impression that both Kevin and I were pleasantly surprised at this film. What was it about this movie that not only like hit you on initial watch, but that has made you come back for more. Cause I think that's the thing that people also, you know, get on about is that you, you're, you rewatch it, you know? And I honestly, I, <laughs> kind of want to show it to Rachel so I also might rewatch it but but what made you kind of get to the point where like I can't get enough of this movie the wizard doesn't choose the wand right the wand chooses the wizard yeah so when you 
find a movie that's just kind of comforting. It becomes your comfort movie. You don't make that choice. It's just it just becomes that comfort movie. Mm-hmm. So it just happened. It just how I rewatched it once, then twice, then three times, then four times, then five times. This is my sixth rewatch <laughs> since it came out last year. That's Southland Tales tier. That's Southland yeah. Tales tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild. Mm-hmm. But can I ask you, Trainer, has this led to any investigation on Poirot content, the Christie books, the Suchet uh, television series, the Sidney Lumet film, and the sequels? Other than I've seen, well, let's see, I have, I've never read any of the books. Never have. I'm a terrible book reader. I like reading books. I like reading, but I'm, it takes me so long to finish a book. Feel it bad. took me like 15 years to finish uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> Arguably my favorite book. I feel that, Trainer. Right now I'm reading a book that's literally just Martin Scorsese talking about his own movies. And even then I'm like, you know, ADD brain. It's a slog. Right. So I, I just, it's t- it's really tough for me to start a book. I, I would like to read her novels, but mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe one day. But like the older, like I've seen the original Murder on the Orient Express. Or I don't know if it's the original, but the Suchet one. You're talking about uh, the Sidney Lumet mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Uh, Albert Finney as Poirot, right? Am I? Okay, then that one. Yes. Um, and then I Sorry, watched... it gets a confusing. There's a yeah, lot of Yeah, because I haven't seen the other one, so I don't... But I watched a documentary a number of months ago now, so I don't remember much about it. It was just about Agatha Christie, and it was narrated by Suchet, if that's how you pronounce his name. We're going We're going with it. So um, that, that was really interesting, because he like definitely loves that character mm. like as much or if not more than Breno. And he definitely made that known. So I don't know, maybe, maybe one day I'll get to the other ones, but like at this point, I don't really care. Right. I have this trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, it's sure. I can watch the other ones. Maybe I like them. Maybe I don't, whatever. doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Right. There's something to be said about, loving loving a version of it and then going to another version and then it's completely foreign Mm. right not that they would be so different but they're different movies completely different movies that's true well since we're talking about what makes this movie different obviously it's can he be at the helm uh and i said it you know earlier i i I liked his directing in this movie like it, it actually stood out a bit more to me i felt like there was a lot of really cool shots a lot of interesting choices that i thought worked really well for me like i saw him i don't know i guess i saw him trying a lot like this like that like the tracking shot that like follows you know uh gal Gal gadot's character like through the boat like that was really really cool like the yes book talking Mm -hmm. to him through the chair kind of looking like a confessional like i saw him like making artistic choices in a way that felt like a little bit more elevated than uh murder on the orient express and and again he did a really great job with the character and uh leaning into the emotion of the character i feel like Poirot was like almost crying like for half of this movie uh just the biggest wettest eyes on Brando on this film um but yeah I really liked his work on this movie yeah there's an arc in the trilogy not to give too much away because I saw Venice on Saturday humble brag but uh well you could have listened or you could have seen it on Saturday you know but the whole my my, my point is there's a arc of increasing experimentation with the cinematography mm. We're starting to see it here a little bit. The different setting, you know, say what you will about the experiments in Orient Express. It's not a very, (laughs) it's a pretty conservatively shot film, as we said last week. And that's because 
you know, it's, it's a big, long hallway. That's really all a train is, right? It's a big, long hallway. Here, he can kind of spread his legs a little bit. And I agree. Yeah, I, I was impressed in spots and especially in the editing and the storytelling and the choices he, he uses as a director to tell the, the emotional, to your point, the emotional story of Poirot in the backdrop of the murder. Mm -hmm. Trainer thoughts on Ken in specifics, and then we'll get kind of back into the big picture. Yeah, I mean, you guys summed it up really well. I Definitely, there are a lot cooler shots. There's still, in both movies so far, there are scenes where a character is talking behind glass as the camera is moving around the glass, and it'll create multiple faces of that character in the glass, like right at the edge of the pane. And in the in Orient Express, that was Willem Dafoe's character when he was describing himself as like the double then triple agent. His face was split into three different window panes, mm. which is a great shot. And there was more of that on this, which I was happy to see. But also, like you said, it's not just a hallway anymore. We can have these wide sweeping shots. We can see a lot more movement with the camera, movement with the characters. And I think that really lends itself to a, a more, I, I, like a more exciting time, a more exciting watch. Stay tuned on that. Who knows? Mm. I'm so pumped. But I also thought that the story was stronger than Orient Express. Mm -hmm. Right? I thought that the Poirot origin, although a little whimsical, right? A little twee, was still very compelling. Very Downton Abbey in the... <laughs> He's entering his Belfast era as he was <laughs> filming it. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Kind of, Yeah. I have to say, uh, if we ever did a Belfast episode of this show, oh Lord, <laughs> that would be a very un a rare, unproductive conversation between us, where we list our opinions, agree to disagree, and move on. <laughs> yeah, don't don't go look at my rating for for too late Belfast. <laughs> look, the point is that uh, Kenneth Branagh is back. He picked. <laughs> I think that this is the mystery is much more entertaining. It is much simpler. Because there's no flashback. There is a backstory, but we're given it to speak to Ken's directing. We're given it in drips throughout this kind of slow first act. Mackenzie, before the show, you and I were talking about the pacing of this film. And while I'm I'm split, I don't feel like act two is as slow as maybe, not to give it away, but like as you are about to say, or as some of our listeners have said in their reviews, but I don't know what you would take out because act one's drip of information is so satisfying for me. And then the interrogations in act two are so dynamic and powerful and gripping. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that this was a great story and I thought it was well told. But again, I don't know what you would change. I also feel that similar tear where I'm like, I was kind of getting to the point where I was like, it's been over an hour and literally no one has died. And I know it makes up for it because then three people die. Um, but <laughs> at, at the time, in the moment, I'm just like, wow, it's taking a little long. Like I, like it just feels like if we could have gotten to the main mystery a, a little quicker, I think it would have been a bit more satisfying, but I agree that so much of it feels so needed. It's like, and I, and also I agree that like the, the exposition felt more natural here because like you know they kind of happen to run into each other like Poirot just happens to be there the night this kind of meeting happens and it's like whoa what a weird coincidence and then like even the book at the wedding being like oh here's the tea on everybody like blah, 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 blah. like that it's kind of something you would do at a wedding so it felt a bit more organic and so I agree that like the exposition was good like I don't know what I'd cut but I do wish it was tighter I don't know 
it's funny because I realized Orient Express and Haunting in Venice are an hour and 45 minutes, and this one is two hours. Mm. So mm. maybe that chunk, which would probably be the cold open, which unfortunately ties the whole room together. Yeah. That's probably where you would lose. But yeah, even that I thought was great. You could also just shrink the dancing down from 15 minutes to five. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just- fair. The dancing, the Elvis homage, Penny <laughs> calling forward. He's preparing the world for Elvis at this point with these dances. It reminded me of Sister Rosetta Tharp, the uh, Sophie yeah, Tomato Salomon. character. Yeah, is absolutely like feeling like that vibe. And obviously, like black blues musicians are like who created the music that Elvis became known for. We talked about it, and it's also true. Um, so, like, I yeah, I see the I see the connections. I see the the things he's tying together. <laughs> I love when he's talking that's, about blues music that he likes the, it and he's like stumbling over his mind. Yeah, that's really cute. That's so cute. You, when you're talking about the dancing, I've never seen so many just like just like asses on Army the amount of asses directly touching Army Hammer's pelvic area tightly in this film. It's just a lot. I've never seen thrusting like on that dance it's, floor. I cannot believe. I cannot believe. Wanna know something sad? Really bums Do me I? out. <laughs> Army Hammer is actually pr- pretty great here, I think. That's he's no, he's I, fine. I thought him and Gal were the big, the weakest links in the. I class. would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think everybody else is really good. Gal and Army are just they stick out like sore thumbs to me in terms of their lower tier acting in this. Oh sure, I mean the part of the enjoyment of the movie for me was the bringing down of the ensemble Mm -hmm. like all great actors and we'll get to everybody like we do but i'm not asking i'm not asking why judy dench is even there (laughs) (laughs) last week i said it was a prank from from like the set of graham norton right and that's how it feels it feels like come here and do this for a day and then we'll cg you in a line later not so in, in Death on the Nile. I feel like this was also like, as a result, a stronger character focused ensemble. And you could latch on to all these characters. We have the Karnak all to ourselves until Abu Simbel. Don't worry about your things, darling Louise. We'll go back and pack up all your rooms for you and meet us at Jalan. Happy to miss you. Thank you. We have a piano tuned, a chef stolen from Shepherds of Cairo, and enough champagne to fill the Nile. The, I have it in my notes. Let me... I said, uh, Gal Gadot in a booster seat. Stupid ass scene. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh my God. What's the, that? She says that one so... line from like history or that play that she was in and everyone's applauding it's a that. Shakespeare play probably is. It's that scene is like what I equate Twitter. Elon will tweet something dumbass stupid and every yes man in the comments is like, yeah, great job. Oh my God. He's just up on a big booster seat on the Nile. Sorry. That was. No, I love it. <laughs> that's one that was every time I see it since I've seen it six times. That's what I think about. Hercule says, eat the rich. Yes. Immortal longings in me. That's what she said. My next note is the rich provide nothing to society. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. I did write army hammer makes me want to crawl out of my skin with the way he said, wasn't that naughty of me? You remember that line reading? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> Sorry, my memory is now coming so, down. No, I just was thinking, and also like, so I predicted the killers this time, right? Because it was more traditional. Obviously, it was hard to predict last week's because it was such a twist. I was on the I was on the lookout. I called it pretty early in the film, and part of it is because Army Hammer in the first interrogation where he's somewhere, somehow somewhat for some reason in there with Rose Lovely, he's just like sweating and looks guilty as fuck and I'm like can you not even <laughs> yeah. pretend to like not look like you are the good person who killed him uh, yeah it was just he was just so obviously it from like the jump to me uh, and I thought that was really funny there's this ties in with the I think the directing of the film and the cinematography is a lot of the scenes with Army specifically when he's like part of those inter- interrogations on the side, the harsh lighting is always on him and not the person being interrogated. Well, it's because he's, I'm sure that Poirot was using that to prove the, the double killer theory, probably of being like, if something happens while he's with me, I think there's another person involved. Yeah. All right. You guys win. <laughs> I also, I think, another I reason think... why his character looked guilty is because there was a full 35 minutes where he was just gone from the movie mm. like are we like and i'm like and he and, then, and it was right before yeah. he like came back when poro was like i have one more interrogation and i was like is it the guy who's been gone for 30 minutes uh and it, <laughs> and it was oh, but that hurt so much when like poro he even said like this is gonna hurt me or like i don't want to do this but like i have to because it makes sense and then he goes and interrogates book and then book dies because of it Brando's acting in that scene, like his, like you said, his big sad eyes, <laughs> yes. like intense. I gasped when Book was shot. I gasped in, twice in, in this movie. I gasped when the captain activated the bomb. Like genuinely made me gasp. I was like, <gasps> I was very anti black and white. Uh, you know, flashback in the first film. Still don't love it, but that one got me, and I gasped. And then I gasped when Book was shot. I was like, not expecting that at all. I well, at first I thought he was the killer, and then I was like, what? And then he got. It was just. I'm so mad that I really loved the last 40 minutes of this movie. Cause like the twists got me. Like I wasn't expecting Rose Leslie to be dead. I wasn't expecting boot to be shot. Like I really felt like I was taken on like a roller coaster in the last uh, hour. It was amazing. I am the way he says, he's like, Oh, book when he gets shot. It's just, he's so sad. Me. Yeah, I'm also sad. Cause like <laughs> book is probably one of my favorite characters of the two movies. <laughs> so not having him for haunting is going to be sad for me. Unless he's a ghost in there, but no. <laughs> we'll see. Is this the I'll ghost of Book? <laughs> You'll never tell for seven more days. <laughs> Mon ami, ghost. <laughs> Something I thought was interesting to get us into performers I really want to talk about. Again, we lost like the Judy Dench and the Olivia Coleman of it all, the Penelope Cruz of it all. Um, oh my God, I forgot Olivia Coleman was yeah. in this. Sorry. <laughs> but then, like, I was shocked at how many, like, kind of, like, very, like, French and Saunders, as I'm saying, was such a which is inspired and very uniquely British choice. Uh, like they're they're like, I don't think they have as much popularity in America as they do over there. And I love them, and I've been fan of them for years. And as we said, I love that French and Saunders were gay. That made me so happy. I'm just looking. Jennifer Saunders and Don French mm-hmm. are also both in Coraline. Yeah. Are they the two they're the, they're, women? They're the two women, and Neil Gaiman said women. on Twitter that they're they're in love. So why are they're all they're playing gay people all over the movies? I love. They're the power couple, honestly. Can I ask you guys an off the dome, out of nowhere question about the continuity of this film? Sure. Oh, I know. This is a major issue that actually did color the the movie for me in a different way than I saw it last time. 
At the end of Murder on the Orient Express, yes. <laughs> someone runs up to Poirot and says, Oh, Hercule Poirot, there's been a murder in Egypt. And uh, he's whisked away. Yeah. Right? Uh, in homage to Batman Begins, the ending of Batman Begins, where Jim Gordon goes up to Batman and hands him a Joker card. At the beginning of, not, you know, uh, an obvious homage. Anybody, anybody who's ever seen a movie could see the homage there. Obvious, right? At the beginning of this film, he's going into the jazz club and someone is like, oh, that's Hercule Poirot. He solved that murder here in Egypt. And uh, what? I don't remember the Dark Knight. Isn't that what happens? Is yeah. that he's out and about and people are like, there's okay. Hercule Poirot. He solved that yeah. murder. I didn't hear yeah. that. So I just thought that that thing at the end just didn't matter. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was so annoyed. So they do acknowledge that he solved a murder? Yeah. They, they acknowledge that he went so, to Egypt, solved the murder, went back to London to that nightclub, and then goes back to Egypt. I, that is so That's fucking right. silly. And I, to- I mm-hmm. missed it. So I was confused by that continuity. You know how, you know how the Dark Knight opens with the Joker, right? This this was like if the Dark Knight opened with Jim Gordon writing the case file. Oh, Batman destroyed the Joker! <laughs> it was so awesome. You all missed it. Pretty much. Very weird. Very weird. I, I definitely think that, like an oversight by Brano from the first movie. He's like, all right. So in the first movie, he goes to solve the murder. This movie is the murder, but he's already solved it. <laughs> and then he's like, I have to throw in this one stupid line. But also, he all he probably didn't have to because nobody remembers. Nobody cares. That's that's <laughs> also true. Cares. The only people who care about this movie want to mock it on Twitter because they have uh, sadness <laughs> in their minds and they have to expel the anger that sadness makes them feel mm-hmm. uh, towards films on Twitter. Grown adults. So <laughs> I, I will say I did do a quick Google and the novel death on the Nile opens on the Karnak already. Oh, wow. And, and Lynette sense. comes up to him and asks him to be her bodyguard. So that's how he gets involved in the story. But I'm happy that he broke the logic. Of I think it. the context does make more sense there because now it means book got him involved again. Mm-hmm. And that builds the relationship between poor pro and book. <laughs> and the way that that grows is great. You wanted it out of, we talked about it here on the show. We liked book. We wanted more book. This is all about their friendship and that loss. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, that was a wise change, even though I didn't even know it was a change. I mean, it also gets us, like a pretty nice intro to the Salome and her music and yeah, I think that the how context, much of a badass she is. Yeah, I think the context is needed. I think to establish the stakes. That's why I was saying like I wish it got to the mystery sooner, but I also appreciate the time he put into building the relationships of the characters because I do think it's like it's needed and it, it it adds more yeah more flavor and more more stakes. I think to the story overall. Than just like showing up and we don't know these people and like we're at it again. That's more murder she wrote. And I think he's, you know, I like that he expanded it a bit. In a way that didn't feel as like mm-hmm. forced or weird as I guess the first one, which does kind of sling him immediately onto it, pretty much. But Oh, how clever is Hercule Poirot? Was the ambition his or yours? He needed things. 
I needed him. You've never cared for money, but you could deny him nothing, not even a plan when he could not devise his own. don't even know where to talk because i just wrote a bunch of popcorn notes and i'm sort of on the umbrella of just like i really liked it and here's a million popcorn notes we're getting late it feels like we just got into it but let's get into some more like granular stuff with popcorn notes trainer want to kick us off sure i mean (laughs) the dance the dance (laughs) the dance I, I sent you guys that one note I wrote of the intimacy coordinator passed out on the floor behind the camera for that scene. Because, like, what's happening? The Emma Mackie one, the Emma Mackie Armory Hammer one, I wrote just is, the level of horniness is concerning. It, it's a concerning <laughs> level. It's absurd. And, and <laughs> yes. Poirot's literally, like, on the dance floor sitting at a table eating desserts <laughs> while this is happening in front of him. And he, because he can't have an odd number of desserts. And I wrote down, me too. I can't have an odd volume in my car. It's being even volume. Yeah. No, I get that. I'm the same way with my TV volume. Did you catch this, Mackenzie? <gasps> of all the pyramids in all the world, you happen to walk up to mine? I did not catch that. I must have been writing a note. Oh, my God. When when Book is flying the kite on the pyramid, that's what he shouts down to Poirot. I love which it. Which is really interesting because this is set before casablanca comes out yeah this movie set in 1937 casablanca comes out in like what 42 or something yeah like that. 42 oh my so, god uh, i don't know little continuity issue there too just saying let's see uh jackie walking into the party with that horrible cgi is the most dramatic shot in history like overly dramatic shot in history yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. we didn't need all that uh get out in the booster seat uh, poirot trying to every time he says uh vegetables the marrow vegetables veggie veggie tables ve- vegetables ve- veggie tables like what is marrows uh, like melons right this? a marrow like you watermelons know, bone marrow? marrow no it's literally have the you guys vegetable. not played neopets god i have no idea what it i'm looking at it looks kind of like some kind of melon oh it's a, or a gourd it looks like a cucumber kind of oh massive cucumber zucchini-esque i would agree I learned that from Neopets. There's a game called Guess the Guess the Marrowy. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird show. Sorry. <laughs> I also said that rock should have hit them on the temple. It would have made the movie a lot <laughs> faster. A classic rich person trying to buy a country to solve their problems. <laughs> and a quote from one of the gay aunts. <laughs> this is a direct quote. I love that Lynette, but I'd love to shoot her in the head. <laughs> Another just background throwaway quote. Uh, Army Hammer is the worst crier in Hollywood. It's pretty bad. Very so bad. bad. My favorite line from Poirot is, I am Hercule Poirot. I, don't, I do not need to be told I have eyes and I see and a brain and it thinks and it now thinks somewhat poorly of you. He just like rattles that off at lightning speed. And I'm like, oh, every, I get chills every time he says that. That was so good. That's like <laughs> my favorite line in the film. As well as the line, he accuses everyone of murder. And he's like, uh, it is a problem, I admit. That was a good point. It's like yeah. little quick quips. He has some pretty funny lines. And cigarettes of various compositions. <laughs> uh, the, la- the last note I'll end with is they mention 
Salome Autoborn mentions something happening at the poolside in Kennebunkport. And Kennebunkport is a town 25 minutes from me in Maine. Whoa. And it is where my parents have a a, a campsite in Kennebunkport that I frequent. So that's you know, a little connection to me. You know, thanks, Brandon. He knew. <laughs> he made this it. for you. Wow. He made this for me. Honestly, that looking at all the other ratings, uh... you would think so. That explains the 45 minutes set in Portland, Maine in Haunting in Venice. <laughs> All right, take it easy. And the last <laughs> the last note I wrote is I remember specifically messaging Kev uh, when you were watching this for the first time. <laughs> you were live messaging me <laughs> thoughts from the movie. And it's just a happy memory I have. So that's where I'll end it. I would like to open my popcorn notes by just reading off. This is the first note I'm seeing in my notes here. Surreal and foul, dry humping in the ruins with Gal and Army Hammer foiled by the worst and dumbest rocks falling CGI I have ever seen. That scene, can we just like when she like turns around and starts grinding her ass on him, it is giving high school theater. Like like two students a little too that are like they're like dating the showmance in the high school theater mm-hmm. with how she, like so I just did Ken watch oh, that happy and did he say, Oh, that's sexy. Like what was Kenneth Branagh? What did he think when he watched that in the film? You think, you know what I mean? Is this what sexy is to him? I, I think that the world of Hercule Poirot, um, I can't justify this. It's like the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I hate it so much. Half of my rewrites in my synopsis were describing that sex scene. <laughs> what else do I have here? Um, a motif of... So... <laughs> uh, building off of that, the motif of Hercule Poirot as the silent observer. Always always there, but never a part of anything. Right? He will. He got too involved with Book as a friend, and it cost him his life in, a, in the proceedings. Uh, his, his precious love, who's gone. He is lost in the world. Even the idea of new love is like, I can't, this is, I can't, I got to have to sit outside. I thought that was really powerful, especially in the opening scene as we see the world of our film get built up. Uh, And of course, that's the beginning of the the grinding motif, the homage to Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um, the mustache shaped sleeping mask. Absolutely hilarious. Great payoff. Oh, to that. I got the impression it, it was his character. mustache case, but he was so drugged. He put it on as an eye mask. Oh, he put it on. Well, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, there it was. I loved it. I did not think the, the playing of the drugged. I liked the sloshing of the camera. I thought that was a really nice touch, mm-hmm. but I thought that was a little underplayed. <laughs> Uh, loved the action beat of Poirot stopping the snake with a cane. Mm, mm-hmm. Slams it. As messed up. So cool. Uh, Letitia Wright and Book had great chemistry, I thought. Mm-hmm. It devastated me that we don't get that couple in this universe now. Yep. Honestly. Army Hammer crying, yikes. <laughs> the hero of your own economic fairy tales. <laughs> the working man. <laughs> yeah, it's so wild. Uh, interrogations help pacing 
There was a little bit of a ghost face chase in this film, Mackenzie. Did you yes. pick up on that? There was a little bit of a uh, I was living scream for homage. It. And when he throws a cleaver, it just picks up that <laughs> cleaver and hucks it against a wall. So much fun. Um, and my last note is uh, I loved Annette Benning, who we haven't mentioned yet, is pretty great, I think, in this film as kind of the uh, elder stateswoman role in this film and her refutation of love is patient love is kind uh had me rolling in the aisles i thought that was so funny because i've been joking my uh, some of my friends are getting married and i've been joking a lot about love is patient love is kind so that just struck me funny it's also her story is kind of tragic with that because she's like she hates love because you're gonna lose with love right everyone's gonna die like the only person she loves left is book and he dies anyway so, like, she's proven right in her own thoughts, which probably doesn't help. I think she's an interesting arc because, like, I mean, Annette Bening's an amazing actress. So, like, she's one of those people who can just show up and be really, really good. Um, and I like that she kind of has a bit of an arc because she provides this, like, secondary mystery, right? Or this, like, reveal that, like, she hired Poirot to sort of look into uh, Letitia Wright's character. What's her name again? I forget. Uh, Rosalie. Rosalie. Uh, and it leads to that really great scene where Poirot defends Rosalie and is like, yeah, she has her faults, but she is matched for Book and they love each other. And so like, I, and, and then like at the end, I thought a beautiful touch was, yeah, like her son dies. And I think she plays that grief really interesting when, when she's like turns to Jackie and is like, you killed my son, like an amazing line delivery. Uh, and I noticed when she's leaving the boat, she's being helped off by Rosalie. And like, you get the impression that maybe they're going to be bonded in their shared grief of book and maybe have a relationship and i think that's like a nice arc she goes on from like judging and hating her to now like they both love this this person and now they can be bonded over that like a great kind of mini arc for annette benning that i thought was really strong i agree i agree (laughs) i was looking at differences between death on the nile the movie and the book because i was curious if if this whole Annette Benning hire Poirot storyline was in the book. Is it? And no, Book is actually not even in the novel Death on the Nile. Uh, Book just shows up, replaces another character who brings Poirot on there. And the mother is now a new character, as is the entire jazz singer motif. Oh, that's fun. Like. Dang. Now I have no reason to read the, the books. And the book Salome was killed instead of Book. <gasps> that's fucked up. A World War One romance is invented for Praro, and it is hinted that Praro and Otterborn have romantic feelings for each other. Wow, all the stuff we liked is new. All the stuff we really liked is new. Is, That's fascinating. Is Brenna a genius? I think he did a good job at making it his own. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, wow. That's that's sorry, everybody. My mind is just blown. Is that the end of your popcorn notes? That is the absolute last thing. I have a couple little ones I have to I have to shout out. Emma Mackey, we haven't talked about. She's the other killer. We've hinted yes. at her. She's really great in this. She's great in sex education. She's great in this. I, I like. She was in Barbie recently. Uh, I think oh, she's the right. she's the yeah she's the Nobel Prize winning <laughs> physicist Barbie. She's Barbie. Uh, and yeah, it's it's. I think she's great. She's really solid in this. I think she helps pick up the slack of maybe Army Hammer in that reveal. But I'll get to it. Uh, there was something really great about that final scene. Um, I thought the reveal that uh, Lynette and him were married was great because, right, it's like 
I, I just thought that was a really great reveal because like last we saw them, right. He was with Emma Mackey and obviously that's the twist ending, but I thought that was a really fun reveal. Like I wasn't expecting it. I thought that was great. Uh, there was a part where army hammer, I think was giving a speech at the wedding and it was shot from below and his teeth were so big and white. They looked fake. I was like, why is he wearing dentures? Um, that's that. I, I do love how Provo just judges people directly to their face. It's just like, hi, I don't like you directly to someone. Uh, I love that. Did you guys notice that the shot that starts at the gun gun and pull or the, the bullet hole in her head and pulls back? I'm pretty sure that's a wax head. Like the lips looked fucked oh. up. I will find a screenshot. I think that was a wax head because that was not a human being's face. Like it looked, the lips looked a little like glued shut, which indicated to me that it was a head cast. I'll find a screenshot, but just everyone go That's look at that. Wild. Uh, I wrote wild if true. Wild if true. Perot standing up for Rosalie was sweet. I loved the reveal of the second body. I thought that was very scary. And I was like, am I getting a taste of haunting in Venice right now? Like the it looked so grotesque being pulled by the thing and the glass breaking. I thought that was sick as hell. And then again, from then on, I was like, I'm locked in. This movie rips. Uh, I loved the fight that ensues. And then Poirot kind of exiting the room and like realizing the splatter mark and all the sound goes kind of quiet and weird. And he's kind of giving Sherlock here. Like he's putting all the pieces together. And I didn't even realize what he was doing until later they bring up. You could tell that a body was you know there or something i thought that was really really well done i loved it uh and yeah the the twist of book being the the thief and also that he saw two dead bodies and did nothing about it mm-hmm. uh like the reveal of that into the shocking death i was i was i don't know i was really into it and then we go immediately into that amazing sequence of him locking them in, shooting the gun, all the door slam, everyone's scared, into the big reveal, which is what I was missing out of the first, right? The big where all the clues come out and all the things come out. The villains are revealed. That's what I was craving from the first movie, and I got it here. And my last note is the shot of their blood on their shirts, bleeding out, Sticky. and then when they stick to each other as they're pulling away, that ripped that was fucking awesome i was like wow i, I genuinely That's, loved it i look at that every single time i watch this movie i'm like i have to see the shirts stick together it's a cool it's a cool weird little choice and i love it it's crazy can't believe how much i liked this movie <laughs> kev i believe it is time let's end this oh please it's time i see the other end of the nile river in front of us or whatever works for you at this juncture imagery wise. However, it helps for you to end this episode. Uh, I think exactly what I thought last time. I think this is a major step up from murder on the Orient express. I think that these are explicitly for fans of this kind of thing. It's hard to recommend outside of that. You could tell cause people got mad about tweets and uh, yeah, three and a half stars and a big old heart. What can I say? I love it. It's like, if you're into this kind of thing, I think this is pretty well done. I think in a year, once I've seen the other Poirot stories on film and read them and whatever, maybe I'll have a different perspective, but well said Mackenzie. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, yeah, I loved this one a lot. I loved the last part of this movie, especially I thought it was exactly what I was craving from the first one. And I got it here. I, I, 
I, I am again shocked at how much I enjoyed this. I think people were being a little too dramatic about it maybe, or maybe I'm just crazy. I don't know. All I know is that I really enjoyed myself. I thought Brandon did a much better job and yeah, I, I just can't get over how well done. I think that last chunk of the movie is. And I understand if some people didn't even make it to that point, but you know, if you're curious, I behoove you to seek it out and to watch it in its entirety. Cause I do think it's worth it. And I think, I think it's really fun. I think I'm also at three and a half stars for this film, but I could also see myself going up to a four because I felt like I was almost talking myself up to a four, but I'm like, no, 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 that might be crazy. But also I'm the person who gave white chicks four and a half stars on this podcast. So maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just that way. So I think I'm going to do what I did last week kind of and say like three and a half could see it fluctuate depending on how I feel about a haunting in Venice. I think I have to hold them all together, you know? Um, yeah that's me this movie is way better than you all think people listening to this so that's how i feel about it trainer it's your moment i think to piggyback off that this movie is way better than everyone thinks the letterbox ratings disgusting people don't get it and to go with what kev says if you like this kind of movie this is for you i'm that person that this is for like i said i've watched it six times since it's released last year this is the movie i've seen the most over the course of this year. I mean, Brando does a great job. I love, we didn't really touch on it, but the coloring of this movie, yeah, the color grading hits me. I'm a sucker for good color grading colors that I like, like the oranges and the purples, like the, oh, look, this is a trial, right? We, <laughs> I can't lie in court. <laughs> That's true. It's illegal. It's illegal. It's perjury. So and to avoid any further legal freeze, from Austin Danger Podcast. I'm giving it the five stars <gasps> of deserves. Whoa. What? what? <laughs> Come on. Stop that. As I said, remember what I said? I prefaced this episode by saying my ratings are about enjoyment. You had it. If you ask me. Like well, three and a half. Didn't you have it at three and a half? I've had it at three and a half historically. But this watch, I was like, why do I have this at three and a half and not five i love this movie i have a great time every time i watch it this movie makes me happy i love that that deserves five stars sometimes a movie can just make you really happy and that's all it needs to do exactly that's exactly what i think so five it's fine i love it it's done it's five it's we out are there. breaking the news here on austin danger podcast were ratings a mistake eat shit godfather well look i doubt ratings now i doubt ratings i doubt Criticism, I doubt art, I doubt God, but that that already, that wasn't really affected by this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say we do our little show and then get the hell out of here? Let's do our little show, baby. I love gold. It may shock you to learn, listener, because you're a hateful person, <gasps> that Death on the Nile was nominated for eight awards and one none of them mm -hmm. at the visual effects society awards there was a nomination for outstanding supporting visual effects in a photo reel feature maybe for that snake <laughs> i'll also highlight the people's <laughs> choice awards there were three nominations uh, gal gadot for drama movie star oh also the female movie star of 2022 a nomination for gal gadot and also, Death on the Nile was nominated for the drama movie of 2022, which it lost uh, to 
don't worry, darling. <gasps> okay, this category is nuts. That's that's the true death on the Nile right there. It's don't worry, don't worry darling, darling. Death on the Nile, Elvis, Halloween ends, which I think probably should have taken it. Luckiest girl alive, which I've never heard of. Nope. The 2022 Scream and the adaption of Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh my God. The people chose this. I don't know who. The people. <laughs> the people. The people. All right. So that is, that's I Love Gold. And now we're moving on to the Alan Parsons Project, which I almost called the Adam Project. And it is the segment <laughs> that brings us, brings our movie into the world of Austin Powers. Only two links this week. Again, we're continuing the tradition of the Poirot films being tenuous. Some of the most tenuous connections we've ever had. <laughs> Shout out to Jill McCullough, a uh, talent agent who worked on, oh my God, Children of Men. Could you imagine a Children of Men episode? Oh my God. No, I cannot. <laughs> no. Of this show? Hello. I could probably imagine us doing Fred Claus or The Phantom of the Opera. Or even Billy Elliot. All those films Jill worked on. Great job, Jill. We salute you. Also, Patrick Houlihan in the music department. Uh, returning from the Charlie's Angels episode. And we'll also, thanks to him, be covering Free Guy. <laughs> Look, that's another movie that's not as bad as people think, but I'll save that for later. Trader, I agree with you. Thank you. I don't even know what movie we're talking about anymore. I've completely, I've already <laughs> forgotten it. Oh, free. free guy. It's fine. It's good. But hey, how about Rise of the Planet of the Apes? That's the one with John Lithgow playing the piano. One of the great turns. So that's the Alan Parsons Project. We thank them both for connecting this film to our favorite trilogy. Of course, I was joking before. I know it's Austin Powers. And that's the end of this week's show. I still haven't seen The Wheel, and I haven't heard from Hercule Poirot. I uh, did get a manila folder in the mail, and the manila folder was full of blood. So I don't know if that's just... <laughs> I don't know if that's just a secret admirer or maybe holds the key to what could be happening next week. Who could say? Who could say? Well, we could say that next week we'll be talking about Kenneth Branagh's 2023 film, A Haunting in Venice, which is in theaters right now, and we dare you to go. Double dog dare you. Triple dog dare you. Regardless of your experience, we would like to hear from you. If you saw The Haunting in Venice, mm -hmm. A Haunting in Venice, rather, you can please send us voicemails and emails to Podcast at gmail.com. We'll listen or read those on the show. Your call. And next week, I mean, we're going to pick something at random as well. We'll figure out what it is, but hopefully the wheel shows up. I don't know. Um, you know, it's hard to get excited for the fall when it's 98 degrees every day and stupid humid here in New York. So hey, don't forget the hurricane that's going to hit us in three days. Oh, good. I haven't even heard about that. Oh, yeah. It's coming right for uh, the New York, New England area. Oh, Beautiful. No. Well, on that note, I'm going to go <laughs> get some sandbags and hunker down. Next week, a haunting in Venice for Mackenzie and Trainer. This is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>